Welcome to Trinity on Tap Theology, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Victoria Lorimar. Episode 10, Mourning and Lament. He descended to the dead. There's an old hymn with a line, it's always darkest before the dawn. It's also a line in a song by Florence and the Machine, which is way cooler. It puts me in mind of that interlude between cross and resurrection, when it seemed that all hope was lost. Jesus was dead. What was there to be done? And I think sometimes we move too quickly from death to resurrection, from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. But that when we do this, we actually diminish the immensity of the resurrection. Because in between Friday and Sunday is Saturday, of course. And that sounds like a really obvious statement. But the experience of Easter Saturday has profound meaning for us. Holy Saturday, or Silent Saturday as it's appropriately called, doesn't often get a lot of attention from us. In our secular society, the shops open up again, people start planning ahead to Sunday lunch and Easter egg hunts. Except for churches that hold daily offices, there are few Easter Saturday services. And even for church traditions that are more liturgical, there is very little by way of liturgy for Holy Saturday. An ancient homily to mark the day begins, however, with the words, Today there is a great silence over the earth a great silence and stillness, a great silence because the king sleeps. The earth was in terror and was still because God slept in the flesh and raised up those who were sleeping from the ages. God has died in the flesh and the underworld has trembled. A silence because the king sleeps. Isn't that beautiful and evocative? The silence here matters. It's intentional. The earth was in terror and the underworld trembled. Matthew, the gospel writer, even reports an earthquake at the time of Christ's death. There is a significance to the death of Christ reverberating throughout the world even before the vindication of the resurrection. There is a sense that the old order has passed away, even if the replacement is uncertain. When you think about it, we live in a Saturday time, don't we? Although we know the truth of Sunday a joy that Jesus' first followers either could not imagine or could not dare to hope for. The transformation promised by the resurrection is incomplete. Our hope is secure, but we still live in an in-between space. The utter desolation of Friday behind us, but the hope of Sunday not yet realised. It's a waiting time. And there are appropriate activities for Christians during this in-between time. We think of worship as all about praise, But the church has a particular calling to lament as well. In lament, we testify that the world is not all that it ought to be. We are speaking from the vantage point of hope, witnessing to a larger vision. Saturday is for keeping vigil, for waiting patiently in the dark. And vigil is about both mourning and honouring the dead, keeping company as they pass from this life into the next. It's about acknowledging and expressing grief. Of course, as Christians today, our remembrance of Christ's death takes on a resurrection hue. We can't see it any other way. And it's right that our reflection on the cross is coloured by Christianity's greatest event. But what does it look like to keep vigil this side of that first Easter? Sam Wells, vicar of the famous St Martin in the Fields Church in London, preached a Good Friday sermon in 2020 
that turned traditional understanding of the cross's meaning on its head. For most of human history, people have sought to appease the gods or have agonised over whether they personally might be forgiven by God. Today, against the backdrop of gross abuses by clergy, various acts of terror perpetuated in the name of religion, a gulf between traditional church views on sexuality and those of wider society and more, the question has flipped. Today, people are asking whether we can forgive God. You might recall comedian and actor Stephen Fry's famous tirade against God back in 2015. When asked what he would say to God if he had the opportunity, Fry cites the particular injustice of bone cancer in children and describes God as capricious, mean-minded, and an utter maniac. Responses to Fry are wide-ranging. Many agree with his sentiments. However, some Christian responses have argued that Fry's God is not our God. And this is where I think it matters that we are a people schooled by Easter and that we don't skip over that silent Saturday. How do we answer Fry? We talked about theodicy, the defence of a good God in the face of evil, a couple of episodes ago. While there is perhaps no final completely satisfying answer to this most difficult of questions, we looked then at the way that God shares in our suffering, the way that Jesus entered fully into all of the struggles of the human condition. As a church living in a Saturday time, we testify that all is not yet as it ought to be. We have hope, but there is much still wrong with the world, all the things that Fry rails against and more. Why does lament matter? Lament acknowledges this reality. It meets people where they are at. It doesn't skip lightly over hardship to eternal bliss. Lamenting aligns us with the causes that grieve God. And lamenting hopefully also spurs us to act, to do what we can in service of a hurting world. It's hard to get up from the genuine practice of mourning and lament and blithely go about our day as if nothing has changed. As the church called to witness to the life and death of Christ, as well as the resurrection, this witness has to give proper place to lament. So this has all been pretty heavy, but we'll change gears a bit now. What about this specific story of Christ descending to the dead? The book of 1 Peter tells how Jesus went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. What's actually going on in Jesus' life between Good Friday and Easter Sunday? What do we make of this story? How does it connect with ideas of judgment and eternal fate? Well, you're going to have to wait for a later episode for a proper look at this question when we look at the question of hell and the creedal affirmation of the life everlasting. But in the meantime, both of our guests have something to say on this particular line of the creed. He descended to the dead. Here's Ben. If I ask you, what does Jesus save us from? What does he die to save us from? I think many Christians would say from our sins. The ancient Christians didn't disagree with that, but they had a slightly bigger picture about what Jesus saves us from. Most of all, Jesus saves us not just from our own sins, not, certainly not just from our guilt. He saves us from death. He saves us from the annihilation of our being, which is a consequence of our separation from God, a consequence of sin. 
So when the creed says he descended into hell, it's not picturing, it's not like a mythical picture of Jesus being burned up in a fire of hell. It's saying that Jesus dies on the cross and then descends down into the depth of the human plight, the point at which we have ceased to be. We've entered the, the, the world of the dead, as it were. Jesus goes down into that place, embraces the whole human condition. In the Orthodox Church, the icon, the painting that visually represents the resurrection of Jesus, shows him standing over the gate, the broken gates of hell, grasping Adam by one hand and Eve by the other and pulling them up out of this cave filled with skulls and bones, pulling them up with him as he rises. That's the idea of the descent into hell. He goes down into the place where the human race has fallen, gathers us together with him. And when he rises, the human condition rises with him, going right back to Adam. Adam meaning all humans everywhere. He, he, he pulls us up back into the land of the living. So the descent into hell is not about Jesus himself kind of being subject to torment or something. It's actually about Jesus's victory. He goes down as deep as you can go right down into the world of non-being. But because he is God incarnate, he fills even that place with the life of God. If you think of the line in 1 Corinthians, where, O oh, death is your sting, where, O oh, death is your victory, even the place of the dead, which is like the worst place I can go to, right? That's where I end. That's where my road finishes. But actually, Jesus is there to meet me. And that becomes not the end, but a new beginning for me and for all people. It's a message of hope. It's a message of joy. It's a message of the good news to say that he descended into hell. And now Alistair? Well, in the Creed, I take that statement to, to mean, in fact, he really was dead. I mean, it, it, it is absolutely clear. He died and not just appeared to die. He really did die. So that to me is enormously important because if you think about what characterizes human existence, its darkest points are suffering and death. And Christ has been to both those places. He's in effect journeyed there. And it means that when we journey there, we don't do it on our own. And that's, that's so important. When I look at the catacombs in Rome, very often their wall paintings depict Christ as the good shepherd who is carrying his sheep as they journey through suffering and death. And so for me, it's a hugely significant creedal statement because it's saying he's been there. We are going there. So we don't go on our own. And he takes us through it to what lies beyond. Both guests emphasise that Jesus' descent to the dead means that Jesus completely identifies with us. He has solidarity for the human condition. Alistair speaks of Christ journeying to the places of suffering and death. What does that mean for us? He reminds us that Christ is the good shepherd, leading us through death to what lies beyond. So let's pause and take stock of where we are now at the halfway point of this podcast series. We began by considering the function of creeds in the life of the believer and the church and what it means to have faith, to believe in something that cannot be subjected to the kind of verification that other types of knowledge might require. In affirming God the Father Almighty, we first considered the radical nature of the Christian faith, the way that it upends worldly notions of power 
and carries a political message. This idea resurfaces with the acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord. And we looked at some of the more complex theological thinking that the recognition of Jesus' deity prompts. The understanding of God as a trinity. The conviction that Jesus is at once fully God and fully human. More recent episodes have focused on some of the contours of Jesus' life the significance of his birth and its circumstances, what to make of his suffering on the cross. And last episode, we confronted the reality of death. In lamenting, we do justice to this part of human life, an acknowledgement that makes the resurrection event, which we'll look at next episode, all the more joyful. In remembering Jesus' descent to the dead in the creed, we are preparing ourselves to celebrate the gift of life heralded by his ascension. Let's make sure that Silent Saturday isn't silent out of negligence or distraction, but out of intention. Even as we practice mourning and lament, we recognise the gospel declaration that death does not have the final word for us. As we close, reflect on your own experience of Easter Saturday and your spiritual life more generally. Do you make room for the practice of lament? This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.